Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics with a paranormal podcast that takes a little look under the hood of the strange and the unexplained. Um, and, well, parallel universes, Ben. Should we talk about those? Let's talk about parallel universes because they came up in the doppelganger episode, yeah. but um, not sort of the main driving feature. But the the thing about parallel universes is there's kind of um, you've got your your law of of parallel universes, and then you've got the science. And I think it's interesting where those two things cross over because. Lots and lots of eminent scientists have sort of shown that mathematically parallel universes exist and it seems to make sense. But one of the most sort of fascinating things about it is the Mandela effect. Now, we've spoken about the Mandela effect a few times. Um, Just very quickly for people who don't know what it is, the whole naming of that effect is because in 1991, there was a textbook published in uh, South Africa. It was actually in the Western Cape branch of the South African Council for English Education. And it talks about Nelson Mandela dying in prison on the 23rd of July, 1991. In fact, it states that as a fact. And it then goes on to talk about how the uh, Encarta ANC peace process was derailed because of it. And it seems like there are a lot of people that remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison. But of course, in our timeline, that didn't happen. He went on to be president of South Africa. That's that's Good the time. reality we know. Yeah, and I think uh, the Mandela effect is often used as one of the most famous, I guess, examples of parallel universe. And I think we'll talk a bit more about the Mandela effect's a little later in the podcast and give some examples of it and see how that connects with a parallel universe theory. But I, I, th- I think you're touching upon, you touched upon there in your introduction that I think what fascinates me about this subject is normally we do stuff that is paranormal and from a scientific point of view, the science is on the sceptical side, and then there's the paranormal side. Yeah. Think about parallel universes. It seems to have a little bit of both, right? You've right. got the yeah. things like the Mandela effect, which, uh, and other stuff that we'll talk about today, which seem both paranormal, but also there is this scientific background into what the pa- what parallel universes are and how they work. Yeah. I, I guess also we're we're kind of always big on definitions on this podcast we should probably call it a multiverse rather than a parallel universe okay because uh and i'll go on to that in a second because there are there are various definitions of what could be going on with multiverses and one of them is a parallel universe and there are other versions which we'll talk about at the moment but it's interesting you you touched upon science because i guess one of the most famous modern day scientists uh, Stephen Hawkins was a believer in the multiverse theory. Uh, I think one of the last papers he did just before he died was about the multiverse. And he'd slightly changed his opinion on it, but he still believed in it. Uh, to quote him, he says, 
We are not down to a single unique universe, but our findings imply a significant reduction of the multiverses to a much smaller range of possible universes. So even up to his death, he believed that multiple universes exist. He thought they were less than he did in his early days, but he did not believe there was one universe. Well, it's it's interesting you say um, belief because it's more than that. It's not like um, that true. It's not like a faith. It's that his mathematical models were showing that to be the case. Yep, yep, yep. And um, that is super interesting when you start talking about um, what I just called the law, the paranormal phenomena, which kind of make it through into you know YouTube videos and the internet and such. They don't seem as ridiculous when you put that mathematical scientific evidence behind them because it is you know maths is evidence well let's so as far as i can work it out in my uh, my bear of little brain i have find that there are five theories of a multiverse uh and this all gets uh, we've talked about this before and we can get tongue-tied with this but it's you know space time gravity all these things are connected to make this happen so we won't go into it tons of detail but the different types of multiverses the theories out there there's what's called the infinite universe so this is the theory uh, that space-time is flat and goes on forever so that means there's a possibility of many universes Uh, I guess that's the the missionary position of the multiverse right (laughs) nice and simple good analogy i'm not going to keep this analogy going okay (laughs) (laughs) there's uh the mathematical universes Uh, in this one the structure of mathematics changes in different universes so that maths works differently depending on what universe that you're in which it it creates all kinds of mind-blowing possibilities there's the i'm going to call that the doggy style (laughs) evidence yeah yeah I'm onto daughter universes, so I think we should definitely try Okay, let's analogy. ditch those analogies <laughs> yeah. right away. <laughs> yeah, that's gone. Um, so the daughter universes, this is basically a theory that every decision you make creates another universe. Uh, so this is the classic one that you often see in, in sci-fi films, right? This is a bit yeah. Schrodinger's cat. I was going to say, this is the thing that Schrodinger was attempting to prove with his thought experiment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cat in a box. You don't know if it's dead or alive until you know whether it's dead or alive. It is both dead and alive, but in two different universes. In a super state, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll be in a super state carrying on with this. Um, (laughs) And then uh, the final one is a parallel universe. So this is the classic theory that you exist in multiple universes. So I guess the difference between the daughter universe and the parallel universe is, is every daughter universe, every action you take creates another universe is parallel universe is more like we were talking about with the doppelgangers that there is another you somewhere else yeah yeah so if this podcast today goes really badly there is another version of me and you who've nailed it today yeah i've yeah that that's that's the one that i think most people probably gravitate to when they think about this and and i've referenced it before but this is the sort of the one that um douglas adams referred to in hitchhiker it's it's that thing where 
in and, and actually there is a quote from Stephen Hawking where he does talk about this. He says in one universe he's an Olympic athlete. In another universe, he's working in a chip shop. You know, there's 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 infinite Stephen Hawking's as as he was describing it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um so I was digging around uh and I I wanted to find stories of people so so basically if you've got parallel universes there a chance that one somebody could have visited a parallel universe and come back and there are a few stories about it but one of the most intriguing stories about it uh features the beatles and a secret okay. beatles album called everyday chemistry so the background to this story. So I've, there's recently there was the Danny Boyle um, movie yesterday. I don't know if you saw it, but yeah. uh, this story that we're about to go into was one of the inspirations for that movie. So this is a story about a guy, uh, not his real name. He admits this wasn't his real name, called James Richards. That's his pseudonym. Um, he claims he was out one day walking his dog and his dog ran off. So he's in the desert, and he's walking his dog in America, and his dog runs off, and he runs after it and trips over and bangs his head on a rock. And then he said he woke up in a strange bed with strange noises all around him, and he realised he'd been transported to a parallel universe. And this guy had taken him in and was nursing him back to health, and... <laughs> this guy, James Richards, pseudonym, was walking around this guy's house and he found a tape and it was of a Beatles album. And what he realised in this parallel universe is the Beatles hadn't split up. This was 1970, they did another album. So <laughs> it's a really weird story and you can get the whole thing on his website, so it's worth a Google search. Um, he basically decided to nick the tape because he, sp- he had a chat with this guy called Jonas who was looking after him. And Jonas said, no, you can't, you can't take this Beatles album with you because it will affect your timeline and screw everything up. So he basically nicked it and did a runner. And somehow he ended up back in our universe with a tape that is an unreleased Beatles album. And this album, he's put it on his website right he has he has put it on his uh, his website the album's called everyday chemistry so you can either search james richard or that title james richards or that title uh it's on youtube and stuff um we'd love to play you bits of it but uh the beatles lawyers are normally well not the beatles lawyers whoever owns the beatles catalog are normally quite litigious when people use their music and I'm assuming that their lawyers in a parallel universe are equally as litigious. So we're not going to take the risk, are we, Ben? Uh, no, sadly, although I would like to. But it <laughs> it has got, uh, it's got 11 tracks on it, and they are called things that you could very well imagine the Beatles calling their tracks. Things yeah. like, I'm just sitting here over the ocean, Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy is actually a great track. Um and to the untrained ear, as like myself owns, um, they it does sound like the Beatles, right? It does, uh, and I I am I'm a real Beatles fan, 
but I'm not a musician, I'm not an expert. So I thought maybe we should bring a musician onto the show who's also a massive Beatles fan. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, so we're, good. we're joined now uh, by Stephen Irvin. I'll just do you a quick introduction. Let me know if I miss anything out here. Stephen's professional drummer. Uh, he was in one of my all-time favourite bands, Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. Uh, you've also played with other artists like Etienne Daho. Uh, you've played with Robin Hitchcock, Delamitri. Uh, there's a whole raft of people you've played with, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been around the block. <laughs> he's, he's been around the block. <laughs> and you're also a huge Beatles fan as well, right? Well, who isn't? Who, who isn't a Beatles fan of our generation? Let's say. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for aging us both. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and before we get on to everyday chemistry, which I know you've been having a listen to this this lost secret um, Beatles album, what is it? Because uh, you know, it, it seems in popular music, there's the Beatles, and then there's everybody else. Why do you think that's the case? Well, they changed the landscape basically. They are they were the, the, one of the first ones to actually uh, write and record their their own music, their own songs. They, they everyone else, even the Beatles, up to a certain point, were mostly doing cover versions. Right, and then and then they became they got their demo at EMI and got and George Martin saw something in them, and uh, then he encouraged them to write their own songs and, and uh, write their own lyrics. And lots of kind of you know obviously. Uh Sergeant Pepper is kind of seen as this kind of groundbreaking experimental album. The kind of experimentation, I guess, was part of their later career, or after they moved away from. Well, the... I think, I think, I think, I think, a lot of the innovation that the Beatles came up with was born out of the fact that they they found it really frustrating when they were uh, technology wasn't with them, right? In the early in the mid in the mid sixties, so they were playing to masses and masses of people. And they couldn't hear themselves, and they thought, "Well, sod this. Let's let's just go into the studio and make a record. It doesn't matter if you can play it live or not." Hence, Sergeant Pepper came, became very experimental, and then, of course, you know, <clears throat> you get involved with uh, taking drugs, and you uh, come up with new ideas and find new ways of doing things that you don't really have to care about whether you can play it live or not, or replicate it live, and they never did. Yeah. And, and as a, a band or as a bunch of musicians, what, what do you think is kind of unique about their sound? Is there, a, is there anything about the way they play together that, that makes them unique? Or, or how would you describe no, their style? No, I, 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 no, I think, um, personally, I, I think they were just a cracking rock and roll band. Right, right. If, you, if, you listen to, if, you've, seen, if you've seen the, the, um, uh, the film Eight Days a Week, the Ron Howard one, yeah. when they actually did all the... Um, it was uh, one week, eight days in America, and they uh, recorded at Shea Stadium when the original recording, you can't actually hear them or you can hear screaming. Well, they went and they cleaned that up with uh, with new new systems in it, and they're actually really brilliantly tight, even though they can't hear each yeah. other. They're looking at each other and they're playing them so brilliant. I, I, I know exactly so what you're talking about. That bit, there's those bits in the film where it just sounds amazing the way they're playing live. Yeah, just incredible. so tight. And they, can't, and they can't hear each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. So, um, so as, as I said, one of the reasons we wanted you to come and talk about this Beatles album, Everyday Chemistry, uh, was not for your uh, experience from parallel universes 
or the paranormal. <laughs> it, it was your your of which I have none. <laughs> it's your musicianship. You you actually uh, played uh, you played Abbey Road right with with Robin Hitchcock. We did we did uh, for for Medicine Sans Frontier. We did uh, with Robin Hitchcock. <clears throat> That's where I first met him. Yeah. My friend Ter- Terry Edwards, who plays with um, PJ Harvey and the Tinder Sticks and lots of other people, he and my other friend Mark Bedford's bass player from Madness, right. they called me up and said, "Did I want to do this um, show for Medicine Sans Frontier in a pub in Clerkenwell?" And we did, and we played Abbey Road verbatim. The scariest bit for me was the Ringo's drum solo, which, which, which is uh, actually you know. It, it, it's easy once you know it, like everything right. else. It's easy once you know it, but, but but getting to know it and getting to do it just perfectly was tough. Because Ringo, Ringo yeah. I, I, mainly from people who are not musicians, Ringo gets a lot of grief as being a bad drummer. But every musician I talk to, especially drummers, love Ringo, right? Ringo is a brilliant drummer. Right. Absolutely brilliant. He's, uh, what makes his style unique is that He's a left-hander who plays right-handed, so all his drum fills start and finish differently. And all those all those rolling tom things that Ringo does all the way through the Beatles' career is like you can't you just wouldn't do that if you were a right-hander right. playing right-handed or a left-hander playing left-handed. But he's a left-hander playing right-handed, so he starts all his fills and finishes them weirdly. So did you take that in mind when you were when you were playing on Abbey Road, or did you just go, oh, "I'm just going to do it my I way"? Did, I, no, I did, I did, I, I did. When we were, when we were listening, when we were. When we were doing Abbey Road, and I was learning the, the parts for it, you could tell that there was one or two of the tracks that you might not have been Ringo playing drums on. Oh, okay, that's interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. But but, mo- but most of them he was, but there's there's a couple of them which is like, that sounds a little bit too straight for Ringo. Oh, that's interesting. Never the same feel twice, I remember him always saying. So. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, having, having said that, McCartney's a left-hander as well, but I think he played drums left-handed. And he uh, McCartney played drums on some Beatles tracks as well, didn't he? When I, Yeah. I it was, it's hard, was it the Ballad yeah, of Johnny and Yoko? I think he played. So, anyway, we're getting too geeky. No, well, well, well the, the Ballad of Johnny and Yoko was, was Lennon and McCartney. The, the, the other two hadn't arrived in the studio yet, and they did it in the morning. Right, okay. So... McCartney played drums as Lennon played his acoustic then McCartney played bass then Lennon played the piano Wow Yeah So you've had a chance to listen to this album that comes from a parallel universe where the Beatles didn't split up um, and we definitely advise anyone listening go and go on YouTube have a little listen to it um, it's it's really worth it what, what, do, what did you think of the album? Um well, I thought it was a good listen. Some things were very annoying about it. The bit that they kept reprising the tail end of every song. And that was just, why did they, why did, whoever did this, why did they do that? That was just really annoying. Um, I thought, it, from my perspective, it's clearly just a mashup. That some engineer, probably somebody who works in Abbey Road had access to the masters, probably following the, uh, what was it called? Hello, the first, the, the, the Love, the one that the, the, um, yeah. George Martin's son did. Yeah. Following following that, they clearly had all the stems and everything digitised, um, and all all the tracks digitised. So yeah, it sounds to me like it's some engineer having a having a right old laugh. It, yeah, that online people. Uh, I mean, you can you can find out there is a list of all the the samples or tracks that have been used on that, and it is a mixture of Beatles stuff and post Beatles. Well, not much Beatles stuff. Is it mostly solo? Stuff. I think it's all past. Is it? 
I think I think I think to be honest, I think I think it's all stuff from the uh, solo albums. But uh, but it's interesting you said about the, the masters, you know, from a CD or even a digital copy of it, uh, you would have to have. No, you, you need you need to you need to have access to the actual individual recordings, okay. each track right. and vocals, right. because the, vo- the, vo- the way it's mixed, it's it, somebody's mixed it. Okay, you know, and so it hasn't been. It's not just taking a CD and, and splicing it with another CD. Right. They've got whoever whoever did this had access to the. Uh, individual recordings that's interesting because I, I know the the james richards the guy who said this happened to him when people have used that argument that you know it's a mixture of uh post beatles splitting up solo work he said oh no 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 it's just in this parallel universe these tracks happened to come together but it's interesting what you say about them being having to have access to the masters so it's somebody because I, I would imagine not everybody has access to the Beatles. There's only a handful of people that would have that, right? Yeah, an engineer at Abbey Road, I suggest. Right. Okay, that's interesting. And and again, in the way that the and and and, and, as, and as as far as as far as it being from parallel universe, as <laughs> a one word answer to that, <laughs> and it begins with B and ends in ox. <laughs> okay. Botox. Fair, fair, <laughs> yeah. Botox. That's the one. <laughs> Yeah, sign of the time, say. <laughs> but but so but it is. There are tracks on there which are I found really. I I really like the album, even if it's not from a parallel universe. But I like. I agree with you. There are bits that are quite annoying about it. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, I know some great stuff. The, the one, uh, what was it? it was, uh, Soldier Boy. That was really good. When there were there are the bits when they were using um, John Lennon's uh, "The Wheels Go Round and Round." Yeah. And clearly, something that I wasn't familiar with. It must be from a George Harrison album, solo album. The, the guitar riff—that's really actually makes it, makes it sound quite funky. Yeah, yeah. Like the Beatles really weren't very, you know. So I was going to ask you whether ah, well, there's one way of knowing this. You know, does Ringo play drums on all those tracks? But then, of course, Ringo did play quite a lot on some of the Beatles. Uh, Post Beatles solo stuff, especially with John Lennon and stuff like that. He played. He played on John Lennon stuff, and I think he played in some of Harrison stuff as well. But you know, McCartney was, was was a pretty good drummer, and he was quite self-contained. And and then he he wanted to break from the Beatles, so right, I don't think I don't believe I don't know, but I don't believe Ringo played in any McCartney stuff. Right, right. So it's sounding like there is a well put together hoax, for want of a better word. Um, by somebody who had ac- access to original master tapes of the Beatles solo work or post-Beatles solo work would be the summary. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't think it would be master tapes. I think it would have been after the digitisation of them. So I guess it's post-2010. So. Right, okay. Yeah, which is about the time it came out. So that makes sense. Oh, was yeah, it? Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, so, so it, it sounds to me like it's, it's some engineer who had... Time on his hands, right? Let's see, right? And that leads me to so the other thing about this is if it were, uh, if it were an engineer, um, they'd be risking not just their reputation, but they'd be risking litigation. And as far as I can see, there's been no attempts to take this down or whatever. I mean, you would have thought that with the power of whichever entity owns the Beatles, that it would have been, it's more than a faux pas to 
take masters and do this with them. So that makes me think if it is a fake, if it is a fraud, maybe maybe it's someone close to the Beatles or maybe some of the surviving members. Mm. Perhaps. Perhaps. I'd suggest it's probably uh, somebody who works in... The, who's part of the system of where the Beatles made, made and produced their records, i.e., I guess, as I say, some, probably an engineer or a producer at Abbey Road. And you know what? What, what harm has it done the Beatles? Yeah. None. Yeah. It's all about the brand profile. And I, and I think there are other examples of albums out there that have kind of mixed the white album with, you know, hip-hop stuff. I, I get the impression that from from whoever's looking after the Beatles or the Beatles, the remaining Beatles themselves, if it's something they quite like and think's quite interesting, they don't seem to go after it as much from a legal point of view. Well, well, look, look, at, look at the Rattles, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, George Harrison was actually part of the production of that. Yeah. And, and, and they clearly just lifted lots of Beatles songs and, and, and mutated them. And uh, because George Harrison financed it, he, th- he thought it was a cracking good laugh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess that might. So it might make it might be some it might be something like that. You never know. Yeah, yeah. So I think so. In, in summary, I'm, from my point of view, I think I'm with you. I'm not sure this is proof of parallel universes, but it's definitely worth a listen if you've not heard it. Beatles every day, Kevin. <laughs> sorry, 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 Pete. Can I just ask? Is there any proof of parallel, <laughs> yeah. parallel universe? <laughs> We always say, Ben, we're a broad church, aren't we? A very broad church. Yeah. We're, not, we're not having any musicians on again. They're just too much trouble, aren't they? <laughs> uh, Steve, brilliant. That's so thank you for taking a listen to that and uh, giving us your thoughts and a bit of background on the Beatles. I, I, I know you're still playing in bands now. What else, what else are you up to? Well, playing in, playing in bands, not so much now with the lockdown. Yeah, that's that. true. So... We had, I just made a, a blues band I play with called Mesa Blues. We used to play in this uh, <coughs> little blues bar in in, the, in West End of London and we haven't actually seen each other for, for nine months now. Oh, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of weird from a musician's point of view. And I know some other musicians who are in the same position who uh, you you just don't get the, the interaction with people. That you, play, you, know, you can play or you can practice on your own, you can play on your own and you can jam with people over Zoom or... or you know, virtually, but it's not the same as being in a room and just watching each other play. Like the Beatles, like I said, back to that eight days a week. Yeah. They were they weren't listening to each other; they were watching each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you, Stephen. It's really great to talk to you. A pleasure. And um, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming and joining us and uh, giving us your experience of the Beatles. We'll see. Hopefully, you'll come on again. All the best, guys. I will do. Uh, nice to meet you, Ben and Pete. I'll see you soon. Thank see you. you. Later. Thanks, Stephen. Take care. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. So, I think Stephen's right, Ben. I'm not sure. Everyday Chemistry, this Beatles album, unreleased after the... From a parallel universe. I don't think it comes from a parallel universe. But I thought what was really interesting was it wasn't something that could be put together just by using a digital download or a CD, that some level of the digital masters 
to make it work and that's a limited group of people who would have access to that so there's something in that story even if it's not a parallel universe right yeah i i think that's true like if uh, if if he had said that there was something in there that was truly unique that he hadn't heard before that would have added weight to the fact that this was a paranormal or you know a strangeness mm. phenomena but uh from what he was saying i take it that he thinks that it is just an amalgam of different things that those artists have done in their careers just mixed skillfully yeah. and that makes me think like he was saying an engineer and that kind of makes sense Although I will reiterate what I said to him. I think that an engineer wouldn't risk their reputation and um, I guess their their livelihood on doing this it, because it could go either way. Like even if the Beatles, the remaining Beatles like what they've done, you can't be sure on that and you could be at the wrong end of a large amount of litigation, bad feeling, um, a terrible reputation in the industry. So where I come out on this is I think it's either somebody who is who is the Beatles, the, the remaining members, or somebody very close to them that has had permission, which is probably yeah. true. Um. Or, less likely, it's the paranormal phenomena. But I think the thing about the paranormal phenomena is the the story itself is quite weak. Yeah. Um, like, you go out to look for your dog, you bash your head. Um, like, I think some of the things missing from that story is... Like what happened? What happened to the dog? If you were taking the dog for a walk, and you ended up in a parallel universe, you'd be you'd be concerned about your dog. I'm sure you would. I would yeah. be. Um, so, like, I, and I know I know us Beatles fans are obsessive, but it might not be the first thing you thought to bring back a cassette tape. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, you'd probably want to bring back like evidence that you were in a parallel universe yeah a newspaper yes a newspaper <laughs> yes or a book that you thought wasn't published or even yeah, yeah. a photograph of wherever you were so i love the story i think it has it's marvelous entertainment the album itself is brilliant i agree yeah. Yeah. i agree with him that um soldier boy is my favorite track i think it's a great track i think the opening track's good as well is it when we were fab is that the, with band on the run and stuff yeah I yeah can't, i can't get that song out of my head either yeah um well what we'll do is we'll put links to the album as part of uh the description of this podcast and we'll also put it uh on the photo album for social media so you can go and have a listen yourself uh if you uh are a 
any type of fan of the Beatles, it's and you've not heard it, it's definitely worth a listen, even from a, a giggle factor, even if you don't believe it's come from a parallel universe and is an unreleased Beatles. Oh, absolutely. It's a piece of artwork, you know, it's a it's a it's a piece of musical goodness, whichever way you look at it. But like I would quite like it if it would be more convincing to me if, for example, somebody had bought back a tape of Take That and Robbie Had Never Left. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but like I yeah. I think I think this is the thing about the pond. I, I, I'd prefer it if it was Take That but everybody had left. <laughs> Oh, don't alienate the listeners. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not a big take. <laughs> uh, well, to be fair, uh, I have just been listening to Robbie Williams being interviewed by Adam Buxton, and I have a newfound respect for him. You've got a bit of a, you've got a bit of a, yeah, you've got a bit of a bromance going on with Robbie there. It seems. Oh, he's. I like. I think that he's been through some tricky stuff but that aside i don't think you can use this as evidence of parallel universes i think like the best evidence is is obviously obviously stephen hawking because that's the best so far but can we you mentioned uh mandela effect earlier yes um i'd like to go back to that because there is something about the Mandela effect that kind of annoys me. Okay. And it's, <clears throat> I think it's the, so we, we gave a little outline earlier. So this, the, the Mandela effect came about because a lot of people don't uh, remember Nelson Mandela being freed from jail and becoming the president of South Africa. They remember him dying in prison. Mm. Uh, and, this sparked theories that actually why that was is some kind of event happens which meant there was a blurring of two of these multi-universes and some people uh, remember things from one universe and some people remember things from the other universe and then a load of stuff started happening around the Mandela effects. And, you know, people probably know this, but if you don't, have a look online. There's all kinds of logos and examples, and this logo changed and that logo changed. So I'll give you some examples um, that work more in a podcast setting. There's that famous picture of, or famous pictures of Henry VIII, and everybody's convinced that in the picture... Henry VIII was holding a chicken leg and there is no picture that has Henry VIII holding a chicken leg, for example. Uh, the, the one that I think is quite interesting, uh, if I say to you, what is the famous quote from Snow White when they look into the mirror? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? which is what most people say, but it's actually, that is not the quote. It's actually magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all. So it never was mirror, mirror. Uh, Other ones are Silence of the Lambs, uh, Hannibal Lecter, everyone goes, oh, hello, Clarice, was never said in the movie. 
uh, visual ones, the Monopoly man, the man on the cover of the Monopoly set. Uh, does he have a monocle or doesn't he have a monocle? You know, the guy with the top hat. So he doesn't, but everyone thinks he does. Sex in the city, sex and the city, which one's the right one? Some people remember it one way, some people remember it the other. Um, one of the weirdest ones is uh, C-3PO's silver leg. Mm. <coughs> so in the original Star Wars film, C-3PO has one silver leg. And I've had this conversation with many people and nobody seems to remember that he had a silver leg. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, but I think he did in some of the later films, but not in the original. Yes, in the original, he did. And this hits such a fever pitch that people actually asked the actor who played the original C-3PO. And he said, yeah, I had a silver leg. Yeah, yeah, of course I did. And there are a couple of reasons why that might be the case. We all watched it on dodgy VHS tapes first time round and most of the time you don't see him from the waist down and when you see C-3PO from the waist down, he's standing on sand, um, which meant that it just looked like it was all one gold colour. But he does have a silver leg. Now, all these are used as examples to say that, um, well, it's because there's a parallel universe and somehow our two universes have got mixed together. But these all seem pretty weak to me, if that's what happened. So the only thing that changed are really massive cultural references and corporate logos. It just seems a bit odd to me that that would be the case. But there are some alternative explanations which seem far more logical to me. So I'll just list uh, and talk through a few of these. There's uh, Dees, Rodiger and Madurbert Paradigm. Uh, so this is quite interesting. And I think it explains things like the sex in the city and the sex and the city. That um, certain words, if said together can falsely plant other words in your head. So if I talked for the next minute, which I'm not going to, about uh, a topic and kept mentioning bed and pillow, bed and pillow, bed and pillow, it's pretty likely that if I asked you what I'd said, you would use the word, well, you said the word sleep, even if I hadn't used the word sleep, because I'd used the word bed and pillow, it planted the word sleep in your mind. It's very Darren Brown. All this, I was right? going to say it's the Darren Brown way of doing things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's what they call source monitoring errors. So US psychologist Jim Cohen, uh, he first worked on this. <laughs> he told his children as an experiment that they were lost in a shopping mall when they were young which wasn't true, right? So he'd say to them, do you remember when you were lost in that shopping mall when you were young? And his kids would go, yes, I do remember that. I remember it really clearly. And then they started adding other details. Oh, I walked this way and this man helped me. And, and it was a completely fabricated story, but he'd managed to somehow plant it in their heads that it was true. So you can rewrite the truth if somebody asks you a question in a certain way or talks about a certain subject which i think is quite interesting yeah schema driven errors people fill in additional information that's not been given so they can make sense of things 
yeah which i which makes sense collective reality so mistakes that get reinforced so i think a good example of this was one we did in the if you've not listened to it into the episode we did on time travelers and i'm obsessed with this photo there's the artist who did that photo where she photoshops herself into a picture of marilyn monroe but she's carrying a modern day mobile phone and everybody used it as example of time travel but it perpetuated this reinforced myth of this thing happened and i think things like hello clarice the more it's used the more people reinforce it as being in the movie that it wasn't yeah and 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 those things from popular culture they do get um subverted by uh people who are parodying them so you get sketch shows saturday night live whatever who use those because it the they use those phrases because they want a quick entry into the story that they're you know making a joke about and and so i completely get that so i kind of you you go through all these mandela effect ones and like i said most of them are from movies or a logo's changed or an image a photo or a painting and people remember it a different way and i just think well surely if there was examples of parallel universe there'd be other major things there but one of the ones that i think is used which is slightly more interesting have you heard of sandy island ben uh no no i haven't so sandy island is an island off the pacific coast that doesn't exist but is on maps oh, that's why i haven't heard of it there you go so i'm just this is quite an old article in the guardian but it, this is the news of when it this story broke so i'm just going to read from this article in the guardian from 2012 for more than a decade it's featured on world maps viewed from google earth sandy island appears as a dark tantalizing sliver set amid shimmering vastness of the pacific ocean but when marine scientists arrived at the island in the Coral Sea off Australia, they were in for something of a shock. It didn't exist. Where there was supposed to be a sandy outcrop complete with palm trees, a few coconuts and maybe a turtle there, it was merely blue undulating water. The Australian scientists, led by Maria Seaton, a geologist at Sydney University, had embarked on a voyage to study plate tectonics. They spotted the enigmatic island lay along their route. But there were several puzzling discrepancies. Though the island appeared on Google Earth maps, there were no images of it. It was also featured on past 12 years on a usually reliable World Coastline database, but there was no sign of it on their sea charts. Dr Stephen Mickleway, a crew member from the University of Western Australia, recalled, we went upstairs to the bridge and found that the navigation charts the ship uses didn't have the island on it. And so at that point we thought... Well, who do we trust? Do we trust Google Earth or do we trust the navigation charts? So, I mean, this story goes on, but it wasn't just on Google Maps. It was on a lot of other marine maps and it was on some and it wasn't on others. So, again, this has been used as a... And when they investigated the location where the island was, it wasn't like it could have disappeared or sunk into the ocean. It's just a deep trench of water. So it never existed in our universe and so it gets used as another example of a parallel universe shift 
but it made its way onto many maps and onto Google Maps, which is just quite bizarre, I think. It is. And I, I, would, I would also say that there's another example of that, which is um, High Brazil, which mm-hmm. is an island that appeared on maps, um, as I understand it, from sort of about 1325 to the 1800s. And it existed just off the coast of ireland and like yeah it it's it's not there it never existed but it is listed like in front of me i have a picture of a map from 1325 and it uh, shows high brazil so it's kind of it looks like a a small map probably uh, sorry a small island probably the size of a medium-sized city in the UK. Right. Uh, And, um, yeah, it was called High Brazil. And there were a number of people that went out to try to find High Brazil to map it more thoroughly. And, uh, of course, (laughs) they couldn't. They couldn't get it. No. So, yeah, I think think these, these are the kind of examples that I think are more interesting when it comes to parallel universe theories. But I guess they can easily be written off by the fact, well, somebody mistakenly put it on a map. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It just kind of went through history and became a kind of, you know, a false representation that became true. Maybe in that way, if we kind of fill in the information. But I think these are better for me on the Mandela Effect concept rather than, you know oh, this logo changed or it was spelt this way and then it changed, just seems, God, well, you know, if that's the only difference between run the universe to the other, then what's the point of it all? But <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm feeling a bit dejected, really. We've kind of blown out the Beatles. We've got Stephen Hawkins, who I'm clinging on to, not literally, obviously, um, but I'm clinging on to as... Well, he knew what he was talking about, and he believes in multi in the multiverse principle. There is some theoretical science behind it. I'm not sure the Beatles helps our case, and I'm not sure the Mandela effect, whether it be for logos, films, or vanishing islands, really helps our case. No, I I get you, um, but. I think probably where you need to go is the reason why we call ourselves the quantum mechanics yeah. and the the experiment that sort of formed our name, and that is the dual slit experiment. Yeah. And we haven't really spoken about it on on the podcast because it's quite difficult to get into... Yeah. An interesting story, and, yeah, it's, and not, it's not. There's a weird, weird conspiracy. We're just like, oh god, I'm not sure I can tackle it. No, <laughs> well, it's it's a really difficult thing to understand. But like, the simplest way I can describe it is, the experiment consists of, on the right, you have a piece of photographic paper, in front of the photographic paper you have a piece of metal with two small slits cut into it. And then to the left, you have a laser. And 
that laser is configured to send a single photon towards the piece of metal with two slits cut in it. And when you observe this experiment and you send individual photons towards that piece of metal, what you end up with is individual blobs, a little bit like um, tennis ball uh, impressions when you when you throw them at a wall. You end up with um, some photons uh, going through the right slit, some photons going through the left slit, some photons uh, being rebounded by the metal. That's how it goes. So the, uh, uh, the photographic paper looks like uh, two sets of spots basically and that and that's what you get if you observe it and by observing i I watch it right sorry uh, yeah yeah you watch it so that's either with the human eye or it it is with some kind of measuring device like a camera or some similar device if you don't watch it and you repeat the experiment so you don't have any measurement devices there at all there aren't any humans in the room there aren't any cameras anything like that what you end up with is an interference pattern and the uh, the thing about that is that an interference pattern can only occur when one photon interferes with another so an interference pattern looks kind of like a um it's not a rainbow but it's like a um i suppose the best way of putting it is uh a windscreen full of raindrops and those raindrops become large and um, when your windscreen wipers go over it, they're not in. They're not wiping away individual raindrops. They're in, they're wiping away kind of little pools of water, and that's what you get when you don't observe this. And the only way to explain it is that a photon has not only gone through, let's say, the right slit, but also the left slit, and has interfered with itself. So you get this interference pattern and you only get this when you don't observe this experiment and this remains one of the core mysteries of the quantum mechanics and this is how we got the name for our podcast because that just seemed like the weirdest thing ever, no matter, you know, compared Absolutely. to all the paranormal stuff we look at. I think there's a similar, um, I think it's similar with quantum computers. Now, I haven't got a clue how a quantum computer works, but what I do know is that if you give a quantum computer a complex calculation to make, similar to the slit experiment, if you observe it in the way that Ben talked about earlier, either physically being in the room watching the computer doing the calculation or with a camera, it gives you a different answer to if you let it do it on its own. Basically, if it's observed, it doesn't work properly. Yeah. But if it's not observed, it does. That's a real simplified 
which I still just and, and the one of the key explanations of that is to do with a bit like going back to Schrodinger's cat. How can one photon go through two slits at the same time and then interact with each other? Well, in some ways, has it done that via some kind of multiverse coming into play? Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. And um, there are no convincing explanations for the dual slit experiment. And although there might be convincing explanations for the Beatles never split up dot com. Mm. It I think what those uh stories do is lead us into a place where we find that the physics of the universe are much stranger than a lot of the paranormal stories. Yeah. And, and anything you could also make up, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that experiment was done like so one of the theories is obviously that consciousness uh affects the uh the photons of light but then uh somebody did an experiment where they used uh starlight and obviously the light from stars is very very old yeah and uh, you, you know, emitted by those stars, you know, a million years ago or more, and yet it behaves the same. And yeah. so, trying so it would to... have had to have known that it was going to be observed millions of years ago when it started its journey. <laughs> yeah, basically, that right? yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing that really kind of blows your mind is, uh, and it 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 goes back to like my. The thing that I default to is that this is all a simulation. And I don't know how you can explain it, or not you, but how one can explain it without having a look at the theories around a simulated universe. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um so basically, if we are to use our uh, our remote viewing analogy, which we often use, the Beatles' everyday chemistry stuff, like the Mandela effect, for me, is the noise. Yeah, and the 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 dual slit experiment and the examples we gave on quantum uh, computers and how they work or don't work, whether being observed or not observer theory that's the signal yeah i yeah i completely agree with you i completely agree with you and i don't understand how that is not the headline on every news channel and every newspaper until we've figured it out because that is the absolute essence of our existence the universe we live in the mathematical norms that we follow it none of it makes real sense until we can explain those things i agree i agree well if you think as well i'm not saying they shouldn't have but if you spent what 28 million dollars by the american government on remote viewing or even that you know billions of dollars developing one plane you think there must be a bit of money around to look at this somewhere yeah yeah somebody is but yeah good okay i feel better now 
I feel better. Those other stories are great, though, aren't they? They're more fun. Oh, they're the tru- super fun. <laughs> like, I really, really wish there was a universe where the Beatles were still together. Robbie hadn't left Take That. Jeffrey <laughs> uh, was still in Rainbow. Yeah. yeah. All, all of those things. Yeah. Um, but it... it I, Godfather 3 was good. Oh, God. <laughs> Ghostbusters yeah, with, 2 was good. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm with you. Uh, but but yeah, if you anyone listening to this, I know Ben, you did a great job of explaining the double slit experiment for me as a bear with little brain. I thought it was a great explanation, but read more about it because it is just absolutely bonkers. Oh, it may be fun. It may be com- fun to look at the Mandela effect stuff, but that is the one. Oh, it's completely bonkers. And I think learning about that experiment, it it made me look at uh, people who have experienced paranormal phenomena in a completely different way. Because yeah. if, if you can do a scientific ex- experiment where the result is different whether you have eyes on it or not whatever form those eyes take is that means that i mean that's the craziest thing ever and and it's an accepted fact it's not like this isn't something that is being reported by you know people who uh are living in the arizona desert looking in the Mm. sky these these are this is a real thing that nobody has yet been able to understand. Well, well, it's interesting. Everybody, we were talking about it earlier, everybody seems to know about Schrodinger's cat and talk about that to a some kind of level. But that was just a thought experiment. This this is not a thought experiment. It's no, a it's scientifically a controlled real experiment. So yeah. definitely check it out. Well, um, as long as something doesn't, as long as we're not observed while recording this podcast, <laughs> we will be back next week with uh, some more quantum mechanic craziness. Uh, yeah, we will. Uh, to be fair, I am being observed by my dog, but um, I think I think that's fine. It, I think. Uh, well, m- well, maybe we won't be back if you're not being observed by your dog. I'll leave oh, you yeah, with that maybe. thought. <laughs> Um, okay. and thanks for uh, Stephen Irving for joining us to tell us about uh, the Beatles as well. That was fascinating also. And we'll see you next time on The Quantum Mechanics. We will see you next time. I'm off to book a out-of-town uh, garden centre to do our next podcast from. We'll see you next time. the quantum mechanics.